morning. It's good to see you this morning as we celebrate the Lord together, as we celebrate communion, a reminder of God's sacrifice, sending His Son, as we celebrate His Word. Before we look at the Word this morning, I'd like us to pray for what's taking place in Ukraine, uh, for the people there, and what they are going through and uh, for Christians there who are having an opportunity to stand for Christ, for all people there who are facing some incredible trials and adversity, and uh, for our world. I was uh, talking to a, to a man in the church who in college had gone on a mission trip to Ukraine a few years back, and uh, talking about it, and him seeing in his mind some of those people that he had worked with when he was there working in a church uh, for a short time there and, and wondering what they may and are facing. And uh, so let's pray and ask for God's blessing and hand upon that nation and upon our world. Father, uh, we don't always understand what takes place. And we know in our world there is wars and rumors of wars. Lord, there's evil that takes place. Sin. Lord, we pray that you would be with the people of Ukraine and the people of that entire region. Lord, we pray that you would help them to see your grace. Lord, that these horrible events could be an opportunity for people to place their faith in You. And for Your followers there in that region, that that they would be able to stand firm and reflect You and Your love. Lord, for Christians throughout the world, that we would be a reflection of who You are. And Lord, that we would show Your compassion and your grace in our lives. And uh, Lord, we just put what's taking place there in Ukraine in your hands. And Lord, we are so grateful that you are in control and we can look to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Peter. For the next several months we'll be going through the book of 1 Peter. And this morning, an introduction, but also as we look at the first 12 verses. And we see two words that Peter puts together that don't seem to fit together. Have you thought of words that that are often put together but don't seem to fit? I recently uh, heard a list of some of those words that don't fit together. And and I'll share just a few of them with you. Uh, One was airline and food. Now, that actually, I think, has a double meaning. I don't know when this list was originally put together, but it sure could be uh, that uh, it was put together a while back and and you actually did get food, uh, but you questioned uh, how good it was. And recently, airline and food doesn't go together because you don't get any. So airline and food, political and science don't fit together. How about this one, pretty and ugly? That was pretty ugly, doesn't doesn't seem to fit. 
And if you're a computer person, how about this one? Microsoft and works. Yeah, I, I don't know if that one works either. Uh, so this morning I had, after first service, I had some more people. And there's a lot more on the list. We'll stop there. But other than that, there was some this morning that were suggested after first service, like jumbo shrimp and things like that. We, we have these words that don't fit together. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter shares two words that don't seem to fit together. But I trust that by the time we leave this morning, we will be encouraged that these two words do fit together. And those are the words rejoice and trials. Again, words that don't seem to fit together, but Peter puts them together in our text this morning. And so, we're going to begin with an introduction. We're going to actually start with, as an introduction, a little background to what's taking place to help us understand, not just for this week, but but throughout our examining of this book, or a letter that Peter writes, to help us understand some of the principles he has for us. In the first two verses, we see Peter, the author of this letter, introducing himself and introducing those he's writing to. 1 Peter chapter 1, the first two verses says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. You're probably, if you've been involved in church at all, familiar with Peter. Peter, probably the most famous of the disciples, he was a leader in the early church. He was writing to a group of people in an area we would call Asia Minor. And they were scattered abroad there within those, that area, all again under the, the, the Roman leadership. But this area in Asia Minor, and we have a map that we're going to put up, and those of you who like geography, this will help you. Uh, but the map of Asia Minor... And down below here, down below is we have uh, my, uh, it's showing that it's working, but you're not seeing it. Down in the bottom, we have what the Mediterranean Sea, and up above the Black Sea. Now, we would call it modern day Turkey, the area there, and you see some of those places that we read about, Cappadocia, Galatia, Galatia. Asia as we see there, those different places. A lot of these places, Paul the Apostle had begun churches, but Peter had connections too to help us understand the the region a little more. So that's Asia Minor. Up above it's what we call the Black Sea. There's a couple countries that uh, you are familiar with. We just prayed about that are on the top of that. There's part of Europe. Just up there where it says New Testament Roman provinces, that's in the area of the Black Sea. Just above the Black Sea up there would be Ukraine. And just to, as you're facing this map, to the right or to the east of Ukraine, it's where it touches Russia. Both Russia and Ukraine touch the top shoreline of the Black Sea. And so, Peter is writing to these group of people, many of them Jewish, many of them not Jewish. But they're living in an area under the control of the Romans. 
And we see in 1 Peter 5.12, as he's finishing this letter, Peter sort of in, in his review and in, in, in introducing some of the people that are with him, uh, saying goodbye, he, he shares in just one verse sort of the glimpse, the overview of why he wrote the letter in 1 Peter 5.12. 1 Peter 5.12 says this, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, he says this, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. The New American Standard Version adds the word firm to stand. It's the idea of standing strong. And Peter is telling these people, listen, because of God's grace, you can stand strong. Now, Peter wrote this letter about A.D. 63. And if you're a student of Roman history, you'll know that in that time, a guy named Nero was the emperor of Rome. And uh, you may have heard of Nero. You probably, if you were in high school world history class, heard Nero. He was sort of a crazy guy. In fact, you could take the sort of out of there. He was a crazy guy. And one of the things that Nero was famous for was the burning of Rome. And that took place shortly after Peter wrote this letter in AD 64. And, and the burning of Rome. And then what did Nero do? He blamed the Christians. And we see in this time frame that, that these Christians were beginning to go through more and more persecution. And Peter, who had been through persecution and would continue to, to face persecution, and, and actually just probably a couple years after he wrote this letter, he was martyred for his faith. He was telling them, you need to stand firm in the grace of God. And he was writing this letter as an encouragement to people who were facing a lot of trials. And if you read an overview of 1 Peter, you'll see that, that oftentimes in the overview, the word trials or suffering is included in that description of what the letter is about. In fact, there's several key words. Some of those key words that you'll find throughout this letter are trials and suffering. But also the words grace and hope are found quite frequently in the words of this letter. And because of the hope, and because of the grace, Peter could connect those two words, trials and rejoice. Words that don't seem to fit together, but they do. And this morning, as Peter introduces his letter, we're going to see why he could say that, that trials and rejoice fit together. That you can rejoice in your trials. You can rejoice in your suffering. And we ask the question, how can you do that? Well, Peter gives us a glimpse of how we can do that here in these first verses of 1 Peter 1. We see that we have a living hope. If you didn't catch it, we sang about that a lot this morning. Jesus is our living hope. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is giving here a doxology. A doxology. Praise God. And we can praise God because of the living hope. And this hope takes place because of God's mercy and through Jesus' resurrection. In verse 3, we come across this term, begotten us again, or, or sometimes we use the term born again. Now, we like to throw that term around, and that's really a, a church term. But oftentimes, we, we throw out these terms and we don't really understand the full meaning of them. And I think we can understand a little more what it means to be born again by some of the characteristics that take place in someone who has been born again. If you remember, Jesus in John chapter 3 was talking to a religious leader. His name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was wondering about all these things. Nicodemus was part of a group of people that were beginning to question Jesus and persecute Jesus. And eventually they were the ones who were the leaders in having Him crucified. But Nicodemus as this group, or as part of this group I should say, was seeing some of the things that were taking place. And he said, there is something different about this guy. So in John 3, he comes, to Nicodemus, or he comes to Jesus at night. Nicodemus comes. He doesn't want other people to see. But he has some questions. And he asks Jesus. And Jesus' response says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus was like, Born again, enter a second time into my mother's womb? This doesn't make any sense. But, but then Jesus goes on and says you're born not just of the flesh, but you're born of the Spirit. And so a person who is born again is changed. They have this new birth. That means they have a new nature. They're moving in a new direction. They have a new appetite. An appetite to, to desire what God loves. They have a new capacity because the Spirit of God works in us to be more like Christ. And an evidence of this new birth is that we live differently. And so Peter here is saying, listen, that you have that you're begotten again or you are born again because Jesus gives us victory over death. In Luke chapter 24, the, the, the day that we call Resurrection or Easter Sunday, we, we remember what takes place at the beginning when the people, when the disciples and the women went to the grave and it was empty. But more things happened that day. Later on, He met with the disciples. But, but in, the, in between those, there were these two people that were walking to Emmaus. And they were followers of Jesus And Jesus shows up and starts to walk with them. But they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And so the conversation between these people and Jesus is very interesting. And we're just going to look at a few of the verses in verses 18-21 through of Luke 24. Just listen as, as I read these verses and picture in your mind what's going on. It said, Then the one whose name was Cleopas, one of these people walking, answered and said to him, said to Jesus, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? So they're walking along, and they're starting to share, and they're sad because Jesus has died. 
And so, but they don't know it's Jesus, but they're talking to him, and this guy doesn't know what's going on. And they're like, hey, you must be a stranger in town. Because a lot of things have happened in the last few days. And he, Jesus, said to them, what things? So they said to him, they said to Jesus, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And listen to what he says, or they, uh, one of these people walking with Jesus says, but we were hoping that it was he who, has, who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened we were hoping but he's dead hope is lost their hope died when Jesus died but at this point they didn't know the rest of the story as the old preacher said it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And so they walk along and they invite Jesus to dinner. And, and then Jesus reveals Himself to them. The circumstances changed and their hope was restored. And Peter here in 1 Peter 1 is saying, listen, we have a living hope. Because of God's mercy and through Jesus' resurrection, we celebrate His death. Communion, celebrating the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that because His death provides us forgiveness of sin. But it didn't stop on Friday. And on Sunday, Jesus rose again. And we have victory over death. And Peter is saying, listen, you have a living hope. A living hope because of Jesus Christ. And not only that, you have an inheritance. A living hope. Remember the old hymn says, Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. And Life is worth the living because He lives. No matter our circumstances, we have hope. And we have an inheritance. Verse 4 tells us about that inheritance. It's an inheritance that does not fade away. It is incorruptible and undefiled. And in verse 5, it is kept by God's power. It's not my power that keeps my salvation. It's God's power. John chapter 10, verses 27-29 through 29, tell us about that. It says that we are in Jesus. Jesus was speaking. He said that you are in My hands. And not only are you in My unbreakable grip, but He goes on to say that My Father which gave them Me is greater than all and no no one is able to take them out of His hands. So we see God the Son, God the Father, two unbreakable grips that hold us. We have hope. And we have an inheritance. And it's all based, verse 5, on that power of God. And Peter is setting the table. 
Because he's going to talk about some really tough stuff. But he needs to begin with a reminder of who we are in Jesus Christ and the hope we have if we have trusted Him as our Lord and Savior. I, I heard a, a pastor one time share a, a story about a, a, a guy whose friend was opening a new business. And so he wanted to do something to recognize and encourage his friends. So he said, I'm going to send him a bouquet of flowers, a special recognition as his grand, open, and his grand opening takes place. So, so he, he got in contact with the flower shop and ordered a, a bouquet of flowers to, to go there to this guy's new business. His friend's new business. And, and so anyway, the, the friend, you know, all of a sudden, these flowers show up, and, and what do you do when you get the flowers? You read the card. Very good. You know, a little slow, but very good. Just seeing if you're with me here. And the guy read the card, and he, it said, rest in peace. And he thought, huh, that's interesting. And the name was no one he knew either. So he called the flower shop because obviously something's gone on here. And he, and he said, so I got this bouquet of flowers from someone I'm not familiar with and it said, rest in peace. <laughs> and the flower shop looked at the records and they said, oh no. There was a mistake. The bouquet you got was supposed to go somewhere else. Well, can you imagine the surprise of the people at the, new, at the funeral? who received a bouquet from a name they weren't familiar with, the friend of this guy that opened the business. But on the note it said, congratulations on your new location. <laughs> now, I don't know, but uh, it's a humorous story, but what a powerful point. Because no matter what we face, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, our eternity is in Him. And when I die, I'm not looking forward to dying. But death doesn't need to scare me because the bouquet should say congratulations on your new location. And Peter was reminding them, listen, you have a lot to look forward to. And then he goes into verses 6-9. through nine. The benefit of our trials. Follow along as I read beginning in verse 6. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says, listen, because of that hope, you can rejoice in your trials. Now, we don't love going through trials. But we still can rejoice. And we can rejoice for several things about trials. And Peter puts those in these verses. 
several characteristics or also some results of trials. Look at these characteristics and results. We see that trials are diverse. He said there in verse 6 that, that you go through various trials. Some trials are large, some are small. Some are long-term, some are short-term. We face physical trials, we face emotional trials, we face spiritual trials. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 faced a physical trial. He called it a thorn in the flesh. He spoke of that trial and he prayed that God would take it away. But whatever the physical ailment was, many believe it was, had to do with his eyesight, but whatever it was, God didn't take it away. Elijah faced a, a physical, emotional trial. After defeating the prophets of Baal, he was exhausted he was emotionally drained, and then Jezebel threatened his life. And how did Elijah respond? Not well. He went out into the wilderness, a day's journey out, went all by himself so he could be alone and have his pity party, sat underneath a broom tree, and said, God, just kill me. Not the best way to respond, but we see the trials that Elijah was facing. Physical and emotional and spiritual trials. We see John the Baptist. An amazing story of John the Baptist. I mean, here he was, the guy that was, we call him the forerunner of Christ. He announced Jesus was coming and took incredible persecution for standing and saying, this is the Messiah to a, a nation of people that didn't believe it. But eventually, John the Baptist was, was thrown in prison. Herod got angry with him because he talked about his... Uh, his problems with uh, immorality and things. And, and so, and, and John the Baptist would eventually be killed. But here he's in prison, and he sends some of his followers to talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, are you really the one? The one that just a couple years earlier, John was saying, This is the Messiah. But that spiritual questioning, that trial that, that caused him to question and doubt who Jesus was. Every single one of us will face trials. We see not only are they varied, but they're painful. Verse 6, it says that we are grieved by various trials. By the way, grief is normal and healthy. Solomon said that there's a time to laugh and a time to cry. But oftentimes when we face that intense sorrow, what do we try to do? We put on a fake smile and we try to ignore the pain. We try to ignore the grief. But trials and pain are real. And if you know someone going through a trial, what an opportunity to walk alongside them. You don't need to preach to them. Walk alongside them and encourage them in their trial. But trials are painful. He also says that trials can be needful. What? If need be, you're grieved by various trials. How are they needful? Well, maybe they're used by God to correct us. Check out what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 67. He says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Guess what? God 
allowed that trial to bring them back to following him. And they can be used to correct us. They also can be used to humble us. We, we talked about Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, and God allowed that in Paul's life because Paul needed to be reminded that he needed to trust in God's power and not his own. And if you read where Paul prayed over and over that God would take it away, but he said, but God chose not to take it away, and he recognized in that that in my weakness, he, God, is strong. Trials can humble us. We also see the trials reveal and refine our faith. Verse 7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more than precious than gold that perishes, though it is tried by fire, will come forth as pure, powerful. They reveal our faith and refine our faith. The genuineness of it. But that refining that God does in our life, term tested by fire, we need to recognize that as God refines us, He does it in His love. Warren Wiersbe wrote, If God puts you in the furnace, His eye is on the clock and His hand is on the thermostat. He will be there through it all with you. Job the Old Testament hero who faced incredible trials wrote this. He said, He knows the way that I take, and when He has tested me, I will come forth like gold. Ancient goldsmiths would know the refining process was done when they could see their reflection in the melted gold. As they leaned over, they could see their reflection clearly. Guess what God desires of us as He refines us? That as He looks over us, that Jesus Christ is the reflection as we become more like Christ. The refining process. Not only that, we see that trials strengthen us. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four says, My brethren, count it all joy. Again, that joy or rejoice. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Hmm, sounds a lot like 1 Peter. He says the reason why in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials strengthen us. But trials also equip us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation or all our trials, listen to this, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What's Paul telling those people there and telling us? He's saying, listen, there's times that you go through trials and you see God's comfort, but you go through them so that God can use you to comfort others. Maybe they're going through something different, but maybe they're going through the same thing that you've been going through and you can come alongside and be used by God to encourage and strengthen them. You're being used by God and God is equipping you to serve and to encourage others. But a characteristic of trials is this that we see. Trials are temporary. He said there in verse 6, for a little while our trials have an end time, but our hope is eternal. 
Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. He says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. We don't give up. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And I love how he puts it in verse 17. The Apostle Paul, who is many times his life was threatened and eventually he was martyred for his faith. But he says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The circumstances around me are temporary, but my living hope is eternal. And because of that, I can face the trials that are in my life. The circumstances it may make me want to give up. But Peter and Paul and Jesus remind us that our trials are temporary, but our hope is eternal. And then he goes on in the following verses and he reminds them of the relationship with God and two ingredients that are in that relationship. Love and trust. Whom having not seen, in verse 8, you love. Believing. And then he goes on to share, once again, that hope that we have in Christ. Verses 10-12, through something the prophets look forward to. And the angels look at. That living hope. Peter knew that the people he was writing to there in Asia Minor were going to face, and, and at the time, many of them were facing some really hard things. But because of that living hope, because of that inheritance in God, they could rejoice in the trials knowing that their eternal destiny was blessed. And God was walking with them and teaching them through the daily circumstances they were facing. But it's the same with us. Whether you're here this morning in this room, or maybe you're watching online, you may be here saying, you know, I feel like giving up. It seems like it's just one thing after the other, or this is never ending. This trial, the suffering I'm facing. But God in His Son, can give you the strength and the hope. And as we continue to look through these words in 1 Peter, Peter continually reminds him of God's grace and God's hope, God's comfort, the knowledge they can have in God. And we have that same promise that Peter shared with them. God is a faithful God. And we can trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You are a faithful God. I thank You that we can trust You. Lord, I thank You for that living hope that we sing about, that we read about. The inheritance that we have to look forward to based on the power of an eternal God. 
And Lord, whatever circumstances we may be facing, help us to rejoice in You, to rely on You, and to be refined by You. Because You are our living hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.